Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. So I am going to, we're going to start with, before we open in prayer, we're going to start with a case study. So I would like you to either turn with a friend or two or three of you, and I'm going to read this case study. And let me read to you the questions that we're going to ask. You're going to be introduced to somebody named Blake. And so the questions I'm going to ask are, how do you sympathize with him? And what would you not do in this moment? Okay, so how do you sympathize with Blake? And what do you not do in this moment? Now, I love the use of case studies because they all come from real people that I've known, situations I've been in, okay? And so we might actually just, let's just do this as a whole group. Never mind, it's kind of hard to turn around. Let's just do this as a whole group. So here's our case study. Blake is a 22-year-old senior at UT. He and his girlfriend, Candace, have been your next-door neighbors for the last four years, ever since his parents moved out of state and left the house to him while finishing college. As far as you can tell, he's not a Christian, and his family has shown no interest in spiritual things. You seem to have always gotten along with Blake, and he seems to genuinely enjoy your family and your kids. Last night, Blake came over for a quick grill-out dinner, And as you sat outside, he talked about his parents, who were doing well, and some of his friends at school. His closest friend, Brian, a former fundamental Christian, that's in quotes, that's how he describes Brian, who now worships in a, quote, affirming church, um, thinks that you, he thinks that you and Brian are the same. He admires you both for being loving Christians who don't try to judge anyone for their beliefs or identity. He then shares that Brian has just entered a wonderful relationship with another young man, and he's so excited to see his friend happy. Blake says to you, I don't get it. Why are more Christians not like you? Why are people so narrow-minded? I mean, why does it really matter so much how someone else is living? It doesn't have anything to do with them. All right, so let's talk for a minute about, so you're there, Blake comes to you. He thinks that you and Brian are very similar because you both seem nice, you're kind of warm, you're friendly, he likes you. Um, and he says, you know, I don't get it. Why, why are Christians so narrow-minded? Why are other Christians so, and he starts talking about how mean other Christians are, right? Because he's been in churches or he's been around church people, hasn't really been in churches. And it took a long time for Blake to get to this point with you. I mean, he's been your next-door neighbor for years, right? Okay, so what do, what, tell me what's coming to mind. What do you not want to do with Blake? And I need some brave people who will, who will just kind of speak up here. We're going to be all family tonight. So what do you not want to do right now? Okay, you don't want to preach at him. Why do we not want to preach at him? Okay. Okay, he's expecting... Now, unpack for me, preach. What does preaching look like? Like, in a relational, you're outside at the grill, right? 
Okay, so I'm not going to pull out. Of, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, as its own language sometimes. Yes. Okay. Ah. Oh, yeah, presenting it as a sermon. I might not uh, go ahead and send him the latest sermon our church did on something and try to send it and then let it go. Right. What else? Anything else I don't want to do right now? Yeah, that's going to get touchy because I might, I mean, legitimately, there might be a difference between me and Brian, and I don't necessarily want to push on Blake, but I don't necessarily want to go over to what Blake thinks, right, about me, and okay, good. I mean, we're already feeling the tension. Okay, so we don't want to preach. We don't want to be judgy. Um, The phrase I really like is we don't want to be confrontational, but we do want to be invitational. So there's something here. I mean, he's asking about Christianity for a reason. This guy's waiting all these years on your back porch, and he finally says something about faith, and it happens to be this. You know, I had a neighbor who we were friends for three years. Our daughters were little, little, little. Like we met when we were both on maternity leave. And when you're on maternity and you've just had your baby, sometimes the highlight of your day is walking around the block. It's the first time you've been out the house. Nobody's really looking at you. I see a couple of the moms actually shaking their heads. So I'm walking around my neighborhood and I meet another woman. She's got baby in tow. So our girls are very close. And so you can imagine because we live close to each other, our girls start getting to know each other over the years. She knew that I worked at a church. And so three years, three years. And I mean, active avoidance of spiritual conversations. Like, even when I would drop the hints, it's like, we are not picking that up. Three years. And so we were friends, and we hung out, and our girls hung out, and all of that, and I just didn't push it, didn't push it. We're in the front yard, and here was her first question to me. Stacy, I got a question for you. And by this point, I wasn't expecting anything spiritual. And I said, okay, what? And she said, what do you think about same-sex marriage? (laughs) Three years. She doesn't ask about Jesus. She doesn't ask about the Bible. It was during the Oberfeld decision, and it was during the height of all the conversation around legalization of same-sex marriage. And that's what she wanted me to know. She wanted to ask me, what do you think about same-sex marriage? After three years of not wanting to know anything. Um, I won't make you wait. What I told her is I said, well, if God made it all, including people, I think he gets to decide how it works all best. And she thought about that. She went, hmm, okay, and then went on. And then it was another six months before the next conversation. So, yes, Brian is bringing this up, and he's bringing it up now. Now, um, we might be very tempted to avoid the conversation altogether because the question becomes, do, do I even feel confident to go here right now with my neighbor? Confidence is a huge thing. And it might be that I just am not really sure where I land. 
Like, I'm not sure how to think about all this. Y'all, the world has rapidly changed just in the last three years. Some of us are just playing catch-up. Most of us, all of us. And if you're a parent, you feel behind. <laughs> like, not just trying to catch up. Anything else that you don't want to do with Blake? Is there anything else we shouldn't do? Why aren't Christians more like you? No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Blake was making an assumption about you because he already finds you to be an invitational person. Something's going really right here when that happens. Something's going really right. Um, I shared this story this morning that my daughter came home, uh, was in the car this past week, and she said, Mommy, my friend says that two boys can be married. So there are levels to these moments. One is, how do I talk to my daughter at her age, at her age level of conversation, how do I talk to her about her friend? And then how, do I, how am I helping her shape her view of the world? Because I want her to also be very loving. And at nine, my daughter's incredibly black and white. They're, they're either right or they're wrong. They're the good people or the bad people. Like that's just her age, right? And so I already want to start helping her be not confrontational but invitational as well. So all of the things we don't want to do. Anything here, is there any way in which you sympathize with, with Blake and Brian? Yeah, I believe Blake when he talks about some of the vitriolic uh, uh, wording he's heard and the things he sees on social media. <laughs> social media is not the place best to be nuanced and winsome on either side of the polarized views, right? Yeah. The other thing that I, I really think can be very confusing for Blake is the professing Christian community is also split. The prof you will find professing Christians who are gay affirming, and you will find progressive—I mean, pro um, professing Christians who are not gay affirming. So, in some ways, our in-house conversation is leaking out of the house, and trying to have that conversation in-house as well as to the public is just fraught with complexity, right? So, I do sympathize with him in the way that he's seeing things. Anything else? that you sympathize with. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, that is a very good observation. That would be answering the question, what do we want to do here? <laughs> Which is good, jumping ahead. Um, yeah, asking a question is always my favorite. I ask questions when I don't know what else to say. You know, I don't know what to say right now. I just, I need more information. I've been, I've been with people and I find myself going, okay, Lord, I'm not going to say anything till you tell me what to say. And I'm just going to keep asking questions until you tell me what to say. Now, with Blake, the way that comes out sometimes is I have asked questions like, what would it look like for someone to disagree with you and for you to not feel judged? And that opens up a wealth of conversation. When was the last time you experienced that? When was the last time you experienced someone disagreeing with you in a way that you didn't feel judged? Right? And being able to kind of have that conversation. So what I'd like to do is I would like to lay out for you this evening two kind of diagrams that, and I lay these out because this is kind of the way that I am explaining gender and sexuality to my daughter and to, I did this with um, high schoolers. I've done this with high schoolers. And the funnest thing is I did this with a high school group not long ago, and one of the juniors in the class went and shared it with our whole family over dinner. And she didn't have her notes in front of her. She was able to do and, and to kind of help her family have this conversation. And so that's really a lot of fun. So I'm going to share a couple of that. And then, hopefully, I'm going to watch our time really well. I would like to at least leave the last 30 minutes of our time together for Q&A. Because I'd like you to be able to ask any question that comes up and we can chat about. And we can just see where the Lord takes us. How does that sound? Okay. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are thankful, so very, very thankful that you are a great king, you are a great creator, and you are a great father. Lord, we know that because of who you are and all that you have made, you know and you have the best way, and you have not left us helpless. You have revealed yourself to us. You have revealed yourself in the scripture. You've revealed yourself in your son. Lord, you speak to us through your word and through your people. In gatherings like this, when we come together and we ask, Lord, how did you make the world? How have you made things to be good and true and beautiful? How might we walk in them? And so, Lord, tonight as we talk about your view of sexuality and gender, and then we talk about how do we talk to our kids about this? How do we model this? How do we look at this? Lord, would you form deep in our hearts the ways that you would have us walk forward? Teach us to be invitational. Teach us to be courageous, to be compassionate, and to be clear. We praise you and we thank you because your very spirit lives in us. You have guided us in word and in deed and teach us to walk in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. When I, when I talk to my daughter, let me make sure I get all of my, my notes. Um, when I talk to my daughter, there's a picture of human identity that I'm trying to get her to understand from the very beginning, and that's what we're going to sketch right now. We're going to sketch the picture of human identity that I'm trying to help my daughter frame, and I'll talk along the way of how I do these pieces. Now, please understand, my daughter's nine, so you're going to get some nine-year-old stories. If you have teenagers and you're like, okay, how do I talk to a teenager? Well, we can talk about it, but I have to sometimes plead ignorance. She's not there yet. Come back to me in 10 years. <laughs> Um, I do love talking to teenagers about this, though. 
Um, but this, it, this happens at every level of family. Siblings, parents, these conversations are now everywhere. And we are often caught in the middle of how do we have these conversations in a way that doesn't polarize. So let me give you the method right now. How do you have these conversations? There's a couple principles. Principle number one, always ask questions first. Go ears first, not mouth first. That's principle number one. We go ears first, not mouth first. Um, I, I went to a teacher one time and I said, so I want to know everything there is to know. This is years and years ago. Comparative religions kind of stuff on Buddhism. I want to know everything about Buddhism. And my teacher's like, Stacy, just find a Buddhist and ask him. That's like the best way to learn about what a friend believes. You just find him and ask him. Um, and so go ears first, not mouth first. Um, the second principle is what we're going to call winsome and wise. So let's start with the wise part first. That's pretty standard for Christian worldview. Wisdom is knowledge applied to life. And so there is a certain amount of knowledge we need about the cultural moment that we're in, and that's why we're going to do the little sketch that we're going to do tonight. We want to be wise. We want to be able to walk in truth. We, God has revealed so much to us about who we are, who he is, how the world works, what is good, what is true, and what is beautiful. But we also want to be winsome, and that's where the invitational piece comes in. Whenever I'm talking to someone, one of the things I want to learn how to do as a follower of Jesus is how to give away the truth that I'm sharing because it's true, but also because it's better. How is God's way better than the world out there, even if I were not a Christian? So here's the question for you. After tonight, and we go through God's view of humanity, the question is, how is this better than our culture's view, even if you were not a Christian? Now, if you were here this morning, I did that. I started this morning with, even if I weren't a Christian, this is the reason I would reject the current cultural framework. And so what that allows me to do is have a conversation with someone for quite a while before I even open up a Bible verse, but what I'm really doing is talking about biblical principles, and they don't know it. It's helping someone wish the Bible and the biblical picture were true and then showing them that it is. It's helping them wish it were true and then showing them that it is. And you can do that with almost any cultural topic today. All right, when I'm talking to my daughter about people, can you see this? Can y'all see that little person? Okay. What you're going to get is when you get the digitals, from me this week, you're going to get all the details of what I'm going to say. And so you can just kind of, if you want to take notes, big categories. But what we're going to do is I'm going to put a little smiley face on my friend there. Okay, so God created people. My daughter knows that. But I want my daughter to understand that God created people kind of with two things in mind. One is what we're going to call our fixed things. Fixed things are the things that I don't get to choose and I don't control. Okay, so we don't choose and we don't control. All right, help me out here. What are some of those things? What did you not get to choose about yourself when God made you? Okay, yeah, I, I don't get to choose some of my physical attributes like my hair color. 
okay? What else? I don't get to choose my birth date. I don't get to choose the generation I'm born into. Like, have you ever wished you were born a totally different time period? Have I ever done that? I've done that. I've thought to myself, man, the 19th century, just, and then I realize I'm a woman who really likes to talk, and that might not go over well in the 19th century. But I don't get to choose my time, and I don't get to choose, what that means is I don't get to choose my age, right? I don't get to choose it. I'm 48, whether I like it or not. What else do I not get to choose? There's a lot. Huh? Yes, we're going to get there. <laughs> we're going to put it down. I don't get to choose my gender, right? I don't, that's just not something I got to choose. It's choose chosen for me. Huh? Family. Yes, family of origin. We don't get to choose our parents. How many of you wish you could have chosen your parents? Okay, so I'm going to put FOA for that. That's my family of origin. I don't get to choose that. What that also means is I don't get to choose my ethnicity. There are days I think it would be really awesome to be tall and blonde and Swiss, but I'm not. I'm short and Cajun, right? I don't, I don't get to choose my ethnicity. Anything else? Okay, we can stop here. I don't get to choose, how about my genetics? I, I honestly don't get to choose whether I'm predisposed to some genetic things. Some I can control, but some I can't. Now, let me tell you, if you were here this morning, if you were not, you really should get the, the, the message that uh, Matt talked about. Because this morning we talked about the predominant cultural view right now is called expressive individualism. That was coined by Carl Truman in the book Strange New World. Read the book. It'll, it's the best explanation of today's culture you'll get. And basically everything, whether you're talking about sexuality or you're talking about um, political issues or, or, you know, governmental issues or economic issues or social issues or whatever, it's all being run through the predominant view of expressive individualism. And expressive individualism basically says this, in order to be a full flourishing self, I, I look inside and I find who I am. And in order to be really happy, I have to be able to express that in the world. And if you prevent me from expressing it in the world, it is oppressive to me because it's squashing and suffocating my very identity and the flourishing of me as a human. Not just as an individual, as an actual human. Does that make sense? Okay. But there are some other things that are fixed. Now start thinking Christian things. Anything that we didn't choose and can't control. I'll give you the first one. I am immaterial and material. What that means is I have a body and a soul, whether I like it or not. I didn't get to choose that. I'm finite, which means that I have a beginning and an end in physical life. But my soul is not something that gets destroyed. All of, these, all of these things about me, I didn't choose, and I don't control them, right? Um, and so we're going to have three broad categories here. One is context. The context I'm born into, I didn't get to choose. That's things like my family of origin, the place I'm born, the time I'm born, the space I'm born into, my siblings. I did not get to choose that I have an older sister. My parents didn't consult me before that happened, right? So I can get to choose that. The second is what I'm going to call my constitution. My constitution is how I'm made up. 
that I am physical, I am immaterial, I'm finite, I'm not omniscient like God. Sometimes I wish I were, but I'm not. I don't know it all. And so my constitution, my soulness, is not things I can change. And then the last is my condition. And my condition is, one of the things that I didn't choose and don't get to control is, I am made in the image of God. People are made in the image of God, all people. Which means that God has put in each one of us a certain preciousness because we are made in his image. But the other thing about my condition is that, but I'm also broken. And so we can call this I am beautiful, but I am broken. And what that means is I'm made in the image of God, but that image has also been corrupted by sin, which means I am self-destructive. And this morning we talked about how in my inner self I'm self-destructive because it's part of my condition. These are a lot of things, y'all, that I don't get to choose and I, don't, I cannot control. And so one of the things you and I have to understand about our culture today is that if I tell people, if I tell my neighbor that there is something about being her she can't choose and she can't control at all, that is so fearful and so offensive. Does that make sense? It is, without, without God in the picture, without a good father in the picture, not just a father, because some of us have very bad representations of that, but without a good father in the picture, it is a fearful thing to think that there are things about me and my very existence I can't control. And right now, we have an entire world of people grasping at control because fear is epidemic. Does that make sense? This is a bitter pill to swallow. But this is how God made it. And so in Genesis, we find, I read it this morning, I'll just read it again tonight because I've got it on the paper. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. When God made you and me, he made us with the purpose of spreading his likeness in the world of creating the world around us. We build culture wherever we go. By the way, whether we like it or not, that's part of our condition. We are culture builders. Whether we like it or not. What I believe is never going to just stay with me. I'm going to build the culture of my home. I'm going to build the culture of my daughter's school as I get involved in that. I'm going to build the culture of my neighborhood. I'm going to build the culture of my family, of my country, of my city. Anything I touch, we spread ourselves. We are like the virus that spreads. The question is whether we're a good one. I don't know. Is there such a thing as a good virus? I've got a medical person in here. You can tell me. But, you know, we, the question is what are we spreading? Because we all spread. Nothing stays independent. This is why community is so critical. And so I'm a culture builder whether I like it or not, and I don't get to choose that. 
It might be that I don't want to have an effect on my family because I'm afraid of the effect I'm having on my family. Too bad I'm going to have an effect on my family. Too bad. It just happens. And so it's not chosen. But now there are some things, and you might think of um, the passage in Esther when Mordecai tells her, look, you are here for this time at this place, and it is for such a time as this. In Acts, Paul talks about how God lays out people's spaces and their, des- and their, des- their destinations and their boundaries and borders of their lives. And so all of these things are fixed. But now we have another category, and we're going to call this flexible. These are the things that I can change and I can control. All right, so, so give me some of those. Okay, my attitude. Some attitudes can be controlled. That's right. What else? Yeah, I can choose. I might not be able to choose where I'm born, but I can choose where I live, right? So um, now... That's in the United States. (laughs) Um, It's interesting that some of the flexible things we're going to list here, my friend who works in the Middle East with Syrian refugee females, that list is a lot shorter. A lot shorter. Their choices are very limited, especially as women in that culture. Okay, what else? But for us, what's flexible? Okay, I'm hearing a few. What? Career, okay. So some careers are flexible. Is, it, is any career flexible? Y'all, I would love to be an Olympic ice skater. Like, I've got to tell you, it's... it's Matt, I'm sorry. You did? You ran... You were, like, right there when it fell. That's impressive. Thank you. So I... And I was doing my Olympic skater joke, too. I really... I, y'all can laugh at that. I really want, it, want to be an Olympic skater. Some careers are not available to me at this age right? They're just not. My 48-year-old body, 48-year-old body can't take that. You can help with that. Okay. I'll hold it. You do that part. Thanks. Okay, so I heard career. What else? Huh? Friends. I can choose my friends. My social group. As a matter of fact, I'm encouraged to choose good ones. Corinthians, um, bad company corrupts good morals. (laughs) Right, I love that one. Um, So, yeah, I'm actually encouraged in the scripture to choose wisely. Like Proverbs, so much of Proverbs is about choosing wisely in my friends and in the people that are going to have an influence and encouragement of me. What else? Anything else flexible? Yes, yes. So our family, how about can I write family, people, and culture? So what that, is, what that means is, yes, I, to some degree, I get to choose my spouse. Now, if I'm raised in a country with arranged marriages, I might not be able to, or, but I can create the culture of my home. And wow, just living every day creates the culture of my home. But I can control it. Okay, what else? Education, yes. Here in the West, I can control, and I do get to choose my education. Now, the education and whether or not I have to pay for it to get the degree are two totally different things. (laughs) You can get a free education, but you might not get a degree without paying for it. But, yes. Yes. My leisure time, right? If I have any, because, you know, it depends on where I am in motherhood at the moment. 
So my leisure time, yeah, what I do, whether I Netflix my life away or, you know, take a nap, go for a walk, do whatever. Anything else? Yeah, I do. To some degree, I get to choose religion, right? Ooh, that's a weird one, right? There is a spiritual connection between these two that I'm going to try, like you can't really distinguish this, but beautiful, broken, and faith. There's this weird space here where we don't choose, can't control, but do choose and can control. How is that? Well, I'm born beautiful and broken. I am born in Adam, so there is the infection of sin that I'm born with. But I'm not a victim of sin because I choose it along the way. I am culpable. I am both a victim and an agent of sin. So in some ways it's chosen, in some ways it's not. Faith is kind of the same way. Think about this, and if you really want to think about your own faith journey and how you encourage your own faith, is a belief something you can choose? I'm going to try a thought experiment right here, right now. Matt's getting really nervous what she's about to say. <laughs> Stacy, you're, you're going to mess up this. Okay, right now I want you to believe that the sky outside is neon green right now. Can you believe that? How many of you really believe, just because I tell you to, because you're trying, that the sky outside is neon green? Not one person. What, you don't have control over your beliefs? Actually, you don't. A belief is something you find yourself doing. It's something you find yourself doing. Now, we gather as Christians all the time, and we talk about faith as if it is something that we can increase. It is. This is why. And this is when Jesus, think about when Jesus talks about sowing the seed. And when he talks about that, he talks about the kind of soil it falls on. I can't choose a belief, but I can participate in the kind of soil that the word falls on and that a belief finds hospitable or not. So right now, just trying to will yourself to believe the sky outside is neon green, is not a, this is not a hospitable environment for you in that belief. Why? Because you walked outside, you saw the obvious. You saw, you, when was the last time you saw a completely neon green sky? Never. Right? That's going to be a hard belief for you. But if you lived in a world where neon green happened all the time and always happened right before rainfall and you saw clouds and you saw part of it coming in the room tonight, it would be an easy thing for you to believe. Faith operates very much the same way, no matter whether you're talking about faith in God or faith in no God at all. Faith operates in the same way. We are able to create the conditions under, with my, under which my faith can flourish. And so the question is, what are the conditions? Only taking in a steady diet of TikTok and Instagram is not going to help whether or not I believe what's true about the world because TikTok and Instagram don't tell full pictures of any story. And most of our kids are being discipled by TikTok. They just are. 
And so the question of what the steady diet is is going to be pretty huge. Faith, just to tell you, what is faith? Here's your definition. Faith is trust in an object for a reason. The Christian faith is trusting in the right object for the right reason. You can get the object right and the reason wrong. You can get the reason right and the object wrong. How can you do that? Well, faith, believing faith in Christ, is trusting in the person and work of Jesus. There's the object. For the reason of, although beautiful, I am deeply broken and I need to be rescued from myself. I need to be rescued from the broken places and the sin and the things that separate me from a loving father who's willing to say, do you want to be in a reconciled, intimate friendship with me? My faith is in the person and work of Christ for the reason of an intimate relationship with my creator and my king and a good father. Now, I can get the object right, Jesus, for the wrong reason. It would look like, well, Jesus is the object of my faith, but the reason I trust in him is because he'll make me happy in the ways I want him to. Right object, wrong reason. Or I can get the object wrong, I trust in some other God, or I trust in myself. That would be a wrong object for the same reason, so that I can be reconciled and I can be in intimate friendship with God. Wrong object, right reason. So what we need is a right object with a right reason. And the community of faith, this is why when we talk about parenting, who my daughter hangs out with, who her friends are, whether she's in a Christian community, whether we as a family have a church, whether we are going, whether she sees another woman hopefully about 10 years younger than me, who loves Jesus and experiences Jesus. So my nine-year-old's faith has fertile ground for her to believe that this Jesus thing isn't just mom and dad. Because that woman expresses it in her way. And that man expresses it in his way. Or I'm involved in a youth group that is actually able to ask questions, and I hear that youth leader tackle a subject no one else will tackle. Fertile ground for a faith to, to rest and to bloom. These are things that I can control and I can choose. I can control and I can choose. And actually, the choice even becomes more empowered when you add the Holy Spirit to this side. When you think about it, fixed things are simply the context, the constitution, and the condition of what it means to be human. Flexible things are all the ways I express the fixed things. Like we could wipe this whole side out and say the flexible things are just the way I express the fixed things. So here I am. I am a woman that was fixed for me. But now I get to ask, what kind of a woman do I want to be? So let me tell you this game that Gracie and I do. Again, I'm sorry, if your kids are older, I don't know, maybe you can play. I did it with a group of medical students once. It was great. I'll tell you about that story instead. So we're in San Diego. We're walking down the beach. I've got about 20 female medical students with me. So they're all in their early 20s. And we're walking down the beach, and we're just kind of talking. And they're talking about what it's like to be a female in medicine. You can imagine this, right? And some of it's really challenging for them. And so they're walking down the beach, and they're telling the stories. And so I said, okay, okay. 
I tell you what, before we leave this beach, we are going to come up with the top 100 things we love about being a girl. Like just 100 things. And they start listing. And, you know, the first about 20 are easy. And then after that, it gets really, really hard. You know, it, it gets, you know, really like, oh, I like to, you know, paint my toenails. Well, no, I don't like to paint my toenails. Okay, we'll list them both, you know. So we, we kind of go, the things we love about that. And we were all the way down. We started at 100, and we came up. We were all the way down at two. We only had to get one more. And without knowing it, one of the staff guys, his 13-year-old son, was following in the back and listening to the whole conversation. And so we were struggling. We'd been walking for about 15 minutes by this point. And this 13-year-old boy goes, I got your number one. I'm like, okay, what is it? He goes, you don't have to be a boy. And we all agreed. That was the number one reason we love being a girl. But what we found in our list was no stereotype. We even looked for it. We were like, okay, because these are medical students. You know, they're, I mean, you've just got a lot of different ways you get to express being female, a lot. And their struggle was that their culture didn't allow for it. Not that they didn't want to express in some ways, their culture didn't allow for it. And so it was so interesting to me. Now, when Gracie was little, we started playing that game. Gracie, I'm sitting up in bed with her one night. This is about a year ago. Gracie, what are the things that God gave you that you didn't get to choose? And I get her started with her hair color, right? It's easy. Well, sweetie, what else? Did you get to choose me and daddy? No, no, no. And I tell you, our kids know a lot intuitively. Like they have to be trained out of common sense sometimes. No, no. What else did you not get to choose? You know, well, I didn't. Did you get to choose whether you were a girl? No. Gracie, what do you like about being a girl? What do you not like about being a girl? What kind of girl do you want to be? That's now the dominant question in our home. She comes home. She's gotten hurt. She's gotten her feelings hurt. We stop. Gracie, what kind of a girl do you want to be? You get to choose that. Oh, we have a lot more choice and a lot more power over our lives than we think. It's just that right now we're in a world that's saying the fixed things are flexible and the flexible things are fixed. You know how God speaks through the prophet and he says, they have called good things evil and evil things good. The world actually gets it lopsided. What we're, what we're beginning to teach our kids is that you're okay, that's just your Enneagram number. You can be as snarky as you want because you're an eight. And I say that because I'm technically what I test as an eight, right? So you can do whatever you want, you know. That's fixed. I don't need to watch my tongue and be like, (laughs) you're laughing, you know me. So that's fixed. I don't need to watch my tongue because that's my personality. I'm just made that way. But all of the, but, but the, but these things, oh, I should be able to choose those. But just like my age, when I color my hair, which I know you can't see too much right now because I just got it done last week. When I color my hair, I'm not changing the color. I'm still gray. I'm not changing my age. I'm covering it. And how do you know? Because it grows out. Because you cannot escape reality. And if there's one thing my child needs, she needs a view of the world that explains what she sees out there, that explains that people are beautiful, capable of amazing, wonderful things that God created us for. 
People are broken, self-destructive. And believing in an understanding of humanity that is confusing and damaging. And then what does it look like to really love someone? Do we let them keep doing that? These are the conversations we're having in my house. All right, let me show you one other thing. Does anybody have anything that, like, I have to erase this whole thing. Okay, let me see if I, I think I might have a napkin. I'm sorry, Matt. I should have seen that coming. A mask. Yeah. (laughs) We, oh, look, look, I have a Kleenex. Matt, I got a Kleenex. I'm sorry. Um, I want to show you one more thing about why this conversation is so difficult and how to, how to understand the difficulty in it, and then we're going to do Q&A. And if anybody needs to, take a, needs to go to the potty in the middle of that, we can do that too. All right. So why is the conversation so difficult? So here's our second diagram. We live in a world that says, if you are not for me, you're against me. If you're not for me, you're against it. It's very polarized, right? That's because the dominant cultural perception of our life together. So now we talked about, I got a Kleenex, Matt, I'm sorry. Um, Look at that. Thank you. I should have said something earlier. Um, So the dominant, we just talked about humanity. This is the picture of a person that I want my daughter to understand, right? Now we're going to talk about the picture of a society. So whether it's her classroom or our family, it's the community. What is the picture of community culturally? Well, expressive individualism is pushing through everything, including community. And so we live in a culture that right now says that people are either beautiful or broken. So, talk to me here. Culturally, what are the features of a beautiful person? Culturally, as you see it, just kind of floating around. I'm not talking about in the church. I'm just talking generally culturally. Who are the beautiful people? The people who are fill in the blank. And I'm not just talking about physically beautiful, like the acceptable people. Rich, okay. We've got rich. We've got successful. Rich, what did you say? Kind. Yeah, we like kind people. What else? Mm -hmm. People of influence. What else? (laughs) Depending on where you are. Hashtag blessed belongs here or it belongs here. Isn't that interesting? But I'll put it down because you're right. Hashtag blessed. What else? Famous people? Okay. Are powerful people good, beautiful? Do we not know what to say to that one? Maybe, maybe not. Okay, so here's the thing. Like we've listed successful, rich, influential. But see, I thought beautiful people were a lot of times the people who've been marginalized, who don't have any of that. Or am I just living in my own little la-la land? Like we want, we, we think that the, the moral high ground 
is actually not held by rich, powerful, wealthy, influential people. Or maybe we do. Which is it? Talk to me. Are we quiet because we don't know? Are we quiet because we don't know what to think? Ooh, that's a good observation. So the beautiful things are sometimes beautiful, but sometimes not. Y'all, I'm confused. How do I tell the difference between a good person and a bad person in our culture, in our community? Help me out here. Okay, so part of being beautiful is recognizing how we've harmed people. Is, I'm he- what I'm hearing is part of being beautiful is we recognize that we harm people and that people who are harmed have been legitimately harmed and we want to be kind. And so them sharing their stories with us is beautiful. Okay, so I think about, um, I was just listening to a podcast recently on the, the Larry Nasser story. Do you remember that story? the sexual abuse victims. And so I listen to these women bravely sharing their stories, and I go, okay, that's, that's beautiful. So courage, not just courage, but courage as they've been victims of something. Okay? And so there's a real desire to pop that into the beautiful category. And so, but, but we also have this weird fascination with Hollywood and wealth and power and this weird fascination with even political power. And yeah, can, does anybody here not know we're confused? That's why it's hard to answer this question. Because what it comes down to, and broken people are what? Like if I can't tell the difference between beautiful and broken, but I'm going to lump everybody into beautiful or broken. Because the world, the, the, the societal culture right now is to put everybody in one or the other category. Nobody's both. You are either a beautiful person, and we have a good relationship, and you're with me, and we're together, or you're a broken person, and you are wrong, and you are toxic, and you are worthy to be canceled, and you are oppressive, and we are not even going to talk, and so I'm going to ghost you. Right? Because the flesh relationally, will always do this. Always put people in either beautiful or broken. And really, you could list these out all night, but what it comes down to is the beautiful people are the people like me, and the broken people are the people who disagree with me. And we wonder why we have an entire culture of people who are isolated and lonely 
and feel unseen, unheard, and unknown. Because when you're done with an individual trying to live in this system, what you have, thank you for the eraser, what you have is a picture like this. One beautiful person, because after a while, everybody's going to disagree with you, and everybody else is broken. Welcome to the average American teenager. I'm right. Everybody's wrong. Welcome to political rhetoric in the American culture in 2022. And I hate to say it, welcome to the church sometimes. You know, we're, I've, I've, I, I know it, I know the right way, I can't believe they do it that way. Well, she, she thought this and he thought, you know, and they're just, they're just mm, you know, we're done. The, the courage to work through relational complexity is eroding because this is now the way I don't, the way I view an individual human in relation to me affects the way I, I now view the whole culture, right? And so when my daughter comes home and I can hear it, she wants to think she's beautiful and everybody's broken. That's the place we need to talk. Sweetie, remember, everybody's a godly mess for her Christian friends. Everybody's a little beautiful and a little broken. And we use these terms in, in, we use these in the home. We build these models in the home. And so what you and I know is that everyone is both beautiful, there's your image of God, corrupted. The fall and the entrance of sin and the rebellion of Adam and Eve and being born in Adam didn't eliminate the image of God in me, but it did corrupt it. So the, it's, I'm, it's beautiful. The image of God is beautiful, but also deeply broken and rebellious and self-destructive and frankly just mean cruel and evil, ugly and tainted. And we can't be afraid of talking this way to our kids. Now, there's something wrong with this picture if I'm a Christian. These are not my only two options. Because as a follower of Christ, this is the worldview that I reject. This is the cultural worldview. This is the way I view my non-believing neighbor but how do I view myself and my brother and sister? We have a third option. And this is in Christ. And so now what we have for my daughter to understand is that her world and her flesh is always going to move her to thinking people are either beautiful or broken. So Blake, our neighbor which is not his name and doesn't live there anymore. But Blake, our neighbor, my daughter needs to know that I actually enjoy his company. He's a non-believer. Yes, I enjoy his company. There are things I like about Blake. But my heart is sad for Blake because the best thing Blake could know is how God made him to express himself in the world as a glorious representation of the creator, king, and good father. It's the best thing Blake could know. And so I need her to know that. 
and I need her to know her flesh will always want to go there. My flesh is always going to want to go there. Hello. But she lives in a world where a lot of the people she encounters are both beautiful and broken. This, by the way, is is the the political system we're in right now. And let me just say one thing about when we start talking about social issues in church, it can get to feeling really political. That's because God never intended a political system to do all of the heavy lifting of creating good communities. The first two systems were supposed to be the home and the church. And when those fall by the wayside, the only thing left is politics, which is why we are living in a culture where people are absolutely terrified of losing their political place because they have nothing left to protect the way of life they think they need. That's why the language is so vitriolic. It was never intended to be laden with the weight of all of society. That goes to the home, the church, and the people of God. So I'll get off that soapbox. But this is why the political rhetoric looks. This is how your Facebook looks, by the way. This is how social media looks. This is a TikTok algorithm if I've ever seen it, right? You were laughing, yeah. So I want my daughter to know this. I want my daughter to know that people are both beautiful and broken. And so here, and I talked this morning about this, this whole idea of beautiful people is where the abolitionist movement got its start the image of God in people. Deeply broken is why it takes so long. But we are in Christ, and so how does my daughter understand her brothers and her sisters? How does my daughter understand the work of the church? How does my daughter understand the body of Christ as we come together and share a meal and talk about the beauty of Jesus? This, these are the kind of things that I want her to pick up. All right. It is 5.15, right? Okay. We are going to take a 10-minute break. I want you to be able to go and go to the restroom <laughs> and get some water. And then after 10 minutes, we're going to come back, and we're going to do an open Q&A. And I would love for you to bring your questions. If you bring no questions, we're going to be done. So you have to bring your questions. And with a group this small, the great news is we might all be able to ask one. That, like, never happens. So, all right, can we take a break? All right, break. When Stacy is done, she can just dismiss us, and we are good uh, to go. Uh, wanted to cover just a couple of things uh, for everyone, just a couple of housekeeping things. One, uh, next week we will be back with our next session, which is Parenting in the Digital Age, and we're talk, uh, tackling uh, social media and its influence, and how do you handle that as a parent? When, when's it appropriate to let your kid have social media? Is it, you know, how to even begin to think about that? And then safeguards, like practical safeguards around um, how do you really protect your kids when they're online and engaged with all the different things that are there? And listen, if you're like me, I was in student ministry for 15 years, and that was five years ago, and it is completely a different world now. I am so ill-equipped to talk to you about it, but we have uh, Matt Schooneman, who's going to be coming in. Uh, He works with the Biblical Life Counseling Center, but also in another uh, counseling ministry uh, in town and uh, has a lot of experience in this, so he's going to come and kind of talk to us just about the state of where things are with uh, social media's impact on our kids, give us a framework for that, and then really share some great resources and tools with us. So I hope that uh, you'll plan to be back here next week for that. 
Um, one of the things we wanted to do with every one of our workshops is to give parents a practical tool um, and resource in your hands that you can actually use and put into practice with your kids when you get home. Rebecca did a great job with that the last two that we did. For these older ones, uh, we have a resource that we want to give you. Um, and I love this resource uh, because it challenges us that so many of us, when we think about conversations about sexuality, gender, um, being safe online, we think in terms of one conversation. Have you had the conversation with your teenager yet, right? You hear parents say it all the time. Have you had the sex talk with your teenager yet? And I want to challenge our thinking. You shouldn't be having a conversation. You should be having thousands of conversations with your kids because it's not a one conversation. It's an ongoing series of conversations where we're staying engaged, we're staying active, we're listening. We're, what are we hearing coming from our, our, our teenager's mouth in our normal conversation? What are we seeing? Um, and having ongoing conversations with them. And a great resource we would like to put in your hands is called Axis.org. It's a parenting resource. Um, and uh, TriStar has purchased a membership with Access.org, which gives us uh, 300 family uh, profiles that we can uh, allow you to go out and create a family profile. And on Access, you're going to find every resource known to man uh, for parenting your, your teenager. They have tons. They have things you can read and get information. They have, my favorite are the conversation guides, um, and they have taken different things like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, uh, social media, sexuality, pornography, all these things that we're dealing with, and they actually have conversational guides that give you questions to ask your teenagers. It gives you thoughts to say to them. Uh, it's a great, great resource for you to have. In fact, for everyone who's registered for this uh, conference, we're going to send you electronically after this um, a copy of the sexuality uh, parent conversation from access.org. That's yours. It's a gift from us for you to use in whatever way you would like to. We just ask that you don't distribute that and send that out to other people. Uh, and then we'll also send you a link where you can then at your own leisure uh, explore access.org, see all the content they have, see all the resources, and then you can download those as you need them, right? So uh, your kid comes home, hey, I want TikTok. You can go and download it, and it gives you, it'll talk about here's how TikTok is great, and here's why your teenager is probably wanting to have this app, but here are some of the dangers with it, and here are some of the things you want to watch out for, and here are some of the things you should really think about as a parent, because here's where it can take your kid if you're not careful. Um, it is extremely helpful and so and I love the fact that it gives you the freedom to use whatever you need to use um, and equip you so that is our gift to you over the next two weeks we'll give you the one on pornography uh, and social media uh, we'll, we'll give that to you next week as well and those will just come automatically the rest you can uh, log on there and you can download those as you need it um, and so any questions on this week or next week before I bring Stacy back up all right. It's all yours. All right. Thanks. Um, I do love Access. If you get on access.org, you can sign up for something that's called the Cultural Translator. Matt, I don't know if y'all get that. It's great. The Cultural Translator, you will get a weekly email from Access that tells you all the slang you need to be keeping up with. I'm serious. They'll tell you what's trending this week, what the, 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 the slang is. They'll tell you about things like... Um, 
you know, the, the challenges, the TikTok challenges to be aware of that can actually be very dangerous for kids. And so I get that cultural translator every week. And I... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's great, and you can have that resource for free as well. So, all right, here's the your time to be brave, hopefully, and to take about 30 minutes and do some questions. So what questions as we're talking, and this is when it usually, hopefully, gets real practical. So what questions? Okay. And we won't tell people online your name or anything, so don't worry about that. You'll be anonymous in the recording. Okay. Um, like in a culture that is changing vocabulary and capturing things that are very innocent that children love, like unicorns and rainbows um, and different vocabulary that we used to use different ways, how do you allow childlike innocence at the same time like my example was, if my daughter wants to buy a rainbow-covered backpack, like I might not because I don't want it to put off an image, but then I also don't want to give them more ground on you know, something that's not the cultures to have. Okay, this is a good question and a multi-layered question. So, of course, age-appropriate, right? So at what age? When my daughter was very, very little, I really didn't worry too much about it. She likes colors and shiny things and all of that. And I didn't really stress about our messaging because I don't think, um, I didn't feel like God was really burdening my three-year-old with whether she was doing the right messaging, right? But as she got older, um, a couple things. One, images and, and language becomes a moving target. And it's a moving target. So she comes home with a phrase that I know is, full of context. And so, Gracie, what do you mean by that? You know, what do you think that means? Do you know what it means? And a lot of time the answer is no. Uh, do you know what your friend meant, meant when they used that word, right? So we, again, ask a lot of questions. But sometimes what I have to do, we came across this with the Lightyear movie, um, the Buzz Lightyear movie that came out. So Andy and I were, th- were like, oh, it's Toy Story. So Buzz Lightyear is coming out. We're all going to go. And Gracie heard us talking about this and everything. And then we found out about the relationship with um, a couple of the characters and how the characters are like down the line. You've got two women that get married, and then they have a daughter, and Buzz meets the daughter and that kind of thing. So at that point, I just, I knew I can't even, I'm just not going to want to sit through it. I love Toy Story. I kind of love the franchise. And that's just, I can't sit and enjoy. I'm going to glitch through the whole film. I'm going to be doing this. Because I feel the indoctrination. I feel the intent. And so, um, you know, I kind of read and did the homework. And then then it comes, you know, my daughter thinks we're all going to go see Lightyear. And so I had to sit her down, and I had to say, Gracie, look, we can go. There are some things that mommy and daddy disagree with, um, things that we know are not really the way that reality is. And so we could all go see it, and I know we could talk about that. See, that's the one thing. I don't want my daughter to think I'm afraid of the world. Because, y'all, we're not. 
We've got nothing to be. People have disagreed all through history. We are not the first generation of Christians. Like, what would it look like if I had to sit and have a conversation with my Christian daughter during the Roman times when they were, you know, doing the gladiatorial games, right? So I don't want her to think I'm afraid, but I also want her to know that I have to make a decision here. And so I told her, I said, I'm really sorry, we can't go. But, sweetie, it's because I can't sit through it. I want to enjoy my time with my family, and I want to enjoy the time with you and Daddy, and I just can take no pleasure in it. And I kind of feel responsible about where I, whether I actually spend my money on it. And so we're just not going to do it. And my daughter understood that. So sometimes at age appropriate, I couldn't have had that conversation with her a few years ago. Um, But helping my daughter, you know, Jesus does this great thing in John 6 where he's talking about um, he is the bread of life, he's the bread from heaven. And And he talks about, he says this a number of times, that it's not the food that goes into the stomach that defiles the person. I don't want my daughter to get the idea that the actual backpack is evil or the create, some of the creativity in, in, in some of the entertainment is actually good. It's part of the beautiful piece, right? I wish I were half as creative as some of the artists out there. But, and so I don't want her to get those ideas, but I do want her to understand that what's happening around us is that every person will look at the world and try to sell her, we had this conversation, a story of what a good life is. So she's in the back seat, another story. She's in the back seat. She's listening to some music. And I hand, mommy fail, I hand her my phone because on Amazon Music, she has her own playlist. So I hand her my phone so she can play her own playlist. Well, at the beginning of every song, they show you the cover of the album. And so Gracie's back there, and so I hear her go, Mommy, why is this girl in her underwear? So she hands me the phone back, and it's Demi Lovato, you know, basically wearing dental floss on the front of, you know, this album. And so then I had to explain to her that everything she sees in the world, every story, every song, um, whether it's the backpack or whether it's the Lightyear movie, every person has an idea of what a good life is. And the question is, are they right about that? And so we've hit things now where I'll ask her, Gracie, that's interesting. What kind of a life do you think they're trying to sell you? What kind, of, what kind of a life do you think they want you to believe is good? And is it good? So I don't want to make her fearful, and I'm not fearful of the world, but I think if I model that it comes from a place of love, she'll pick up love and discernment along the way. Is that, does that kind of hit in the area, Julie? There's no stand, standard answer to this. There's no patent answer of do or don't buy the backpack, right? Do or don't let her run around with that kind of messaging because some of it has to do with the school she's in, where it's all going, um, what kind of reinforcement she's going to get from other people. Um, And that's why the answers feel difficult because there's very little one-size-fits-all kind of thing. But we don't want to model fear but we do want to model discernment. You had a question? Uh, Simply in the case history Mm -hmm. that you mentioned, Brian, Mm -hmm. okay, uh, opened up and started sharing and was beginning a conversation. 
So it sounds like that was an honest conversation. Mm -hmm. How many places do you think Brian can go and have an honest conversation with Christians? Oh, such a good question. Um, I would like to be optimistic. I would like to say that the Blakes and the Bryans of the world can find nuanced spaces to talk. But I don't feel that optimistic. I would like to be, but I don't. How hard is it for you? How hard is it for you to find a space where you can talk about the things going on in your life and in your family and you don't automatically get thrown into one of those? See, that's what he's experiencing as well. He's experiencing either with Christians, he gets thrown into one of these, and with his friends, he gets thrown into one of these. The problem is he's in his 20s, and he's not old enough to understand that as time goes on, everyone will do that to him. See, he's young enough to believe that his friends will always be on his side. Um, And so this is why I firmly believe that the primary way God uses his people is letting us be that space for people. Um, I feel so very flattered whenever a neighbor or a friend disagrees with me and feels safe enough to do it. Um, I was at home one day, and a gentleman called me that I had known for years and years and years. And he was in a lot of pain, and he was an alcoholic, and he was basically trying to drink himself to death. Attempting to, he was in such despair, he was trying to drink himself to death. But he was an abrasive person. Like, he would tell the crude kind of jokes just to see if he could get a reaction out of me, and he'd make passes just to see if he could get a reaction out of me. And one day he called me up, and he said, do you have a minute to talk? And he had never called me. Like, he had my number. He had gotten it from someone, but he had never actually called me. And he called me up, and he said, Stacy, I can't drink enough to make the hurt go away. I just don't know what to do. And it was, I mean, we're talking eight years before he made that call. And of everybody he could have called, he called me. And we weren't even, like, close friends. We were just in the vicinity. Because there weren't a lot of people he could have that conversation with. Most of it, I honestly believe, is um, I think God calls us as a church to be that place. And I hear beautiful stories when it does happen. It does, And Matt can probably tell even more stories than me. I think there are beautiful stories where it does happen. Where believers are put right in the middle of the space. And you're sitting here thinking, oh, how do I represent Jesus in this moment? And God's going... I sent them to you for a reason. You're exactly the person I want them, you know, to be around. The other thing is it makes me very sad that the younger younger generation and the older generation don't intersect. Um, The safest people for me are the people about 10 or 20 years older than me. My best friend is 73. There's a reason she's my best friend. She gets life. She's got, sorry, white hair. Like, she gets life. There's, you know, I called my mom today. I, I taught this morning, went home, trying to work through something, just other related, and I just called my parents because they're in their 70s. And I said, I just wanted to hear your voice, and I don't know what to think about this or this, and they sit and they just talk with me. 
And part of the reason Blake wants to talk with you or Brian or whoever it is is because you feel wise. You feel winsome. You feel invitational. And there's just little of that. What do you think? Uh huh. How would you answer the question? I think that that's the goal. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, I think his name is, I love that answer because I think his name is, is it Robert Frost, Matt? The guy who writes the uh, church planting books with uh, Hugh Halter and who's the guy? He wrote Bells. Uh, Michael Frost. Frost. Thank you. Michael Frost. Michael Frost has this great acronym called Bells, B-E-L-L-S, and it's about how to create these spaces where people can come in. And he talks about we live very isolated Things. And so what he does is he challenges everyone in his church to do B-E-L-L-S, these five things, every week. The B stands for bless someone. So bless someone this week. Um, whoever comes across your path, and it can, it can look like, you know, you're at the checkout and somebody's struggling, and you, go, you circle back around the next day to just bless them and check in on them and write them a handwritten card or something. So bless someone every week in your neighborhood. Um, someone far from Jesus, someone close to Jesus, and someone in your family. That's not the way he put it, but that's the way I put it. So far from Jesus, close to Jesus in your family. So that's the B. E, eat with someone every week. Um, One of the easiest ways to help people become connected and to really experience the kind of community we're longing for is over a meal. Um, So I gave up the idea that I had to be a great cook. I had to let that go. And I had to be okay with inviting people to my house after um, working mommy crockpot night. So last night we invited a few people over to my house, and I called up and I said, hey, I've got taco chili in my crockpot. You want to come over, right? Uh, and so eat. Eat with three people every, every week. Or, you know, you can even think of this as monthly, but far from Jesus, close to Jesus in your family. Um, that, that is also at work. If you're, if you're at work and you're used to taking lunch by yourself, don't. And don't take your best friend. Find someone who doesn't take lunch with anybody and invite them. So B-E-L. Um, listen to, learn Jesus. Learn Jesus. Pick up a gospel and just start reading it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Pick one and start asking, how did Jesus connect with people? L, listen to the Holy Spirit. 
that's the other one, listen to the Holy Spirit, and S, see yourself as sent. So here's what I wake up in the morning. I wake up in the morning and I talk to the Lord. Lord, and I'm teaching Gracie, my daughter, to pray this. Lord, somewhere in my life today, I'm going to run across someone who needs you, and they need to take one step closer to you. When it happens, will you show me who it is and then hit me over the head to recognize it's happening because I'll miss it because I'm busy? B-E-L-L-S. Um, Michael Frost is the name, and you can, go on, you can go online and Google just Michael Frost Bells, and it'll, it'll talk about that. But, but yes, we are meant to be that space for people and for one another. Questions? Yes, Matt. age-appropriate responses, but then, like, to be proactive as well, like, age-appropriate discussions to have at home. For what in particular? Sexuality Uh and gender? Yes. Okay. So give me a scenario. You're in the store, and you see what? Well, for instance, we were in the store. We saw someone um, that was a man dressed as a woman, and my child very loudly said, Mommy, why does he look like a girl? Mm -hmm. And, and, you know... I didn't really know how to respond to <laughs> Well, let's face it, you can't have the conversation in the store. Right. Right? Okay. So my first, um, and I'm not going to have all the answers to these pieces, but my first advice to that is give yourself permission to not have the conversation in the store, but be courageous enough to bring it up later. So here's the thing. We want to run from these conversations sometimes as parents. We can't. So when my daughter asked me about, Mommy, those two men think they... My, my friend says they can be married. That was not the first conversation I had with her. That was like the second, third, or fourth one. The first one I brought up. We had been in an environment. She saw something. I know she probably didn't miss it, but didn't say anything. So when we were at dinner that night, we talked about it. Here's my first um, thing to, to recognize. When we talk about uh, there's gender and there's sexuality. So first, the sexuality conversation. It's easy to think that talking to our kids about same-sex marriage is a sex conversation. It's not. It's a marriage conversation. And so helping my daughter understand marriage before we talk about sex is going to be critically important. I live in a culture that's trying to tell me to sexualize everything. If, you, if we don't know how to talk about marriage without talking about sex, we don't really understand marriage, right? For the gender conversation, I will bring it up, and I will say something like, you know, Johnny, um, you asked me that question about why that guy was dressed as a girl. There are really two reasons that might happen. One is maybe he likes colorful things, maybe he likes you know, who's wearing a dress, maybe he likes dresses. But Johnny, today, and maybe he thinks that's how a man should express himself, or that's how he thinks men can express themselves. That's one conversation. The second conversation is more me saying, but that's usually not what's happening today. What's happening today is that you have someone who is a boy 
who is thinking that they might want to be a girl, so they're trying it out. And so now we have to start talking about identity. And we have to start talking about how do we know who we really are? Do we know that by looking inside of us? Or do we know that some other way? And if you were here this morning, you, you remember that we talked about the difference between fixed points of reference and self-referring reference points in order to know who we are. The reason I want to give a nod to the first conversation is because it's not a conversation anyone's having. Our young people do not know what it means to be a girl or to be a boy. Y'all, I don't even have a culture that knows what a girl is. Why do I think we should know how to treat one? Right? Our culture doesn't even know what a boy and a girl is. So we need to look to scripture. So let me help you with this part. It's if, if the question is, well, mommy, do boys dress in dresses? Or what do boys do? What do girls do? The best thing to do is the, the great old school approach. Just start reading the, the men in scripture. Go through and help your kid learn these people. The, boy, the men in scripture and the women in scripture really don't fit really strong stereotypes. Like you've got, I love talking to my daughter about the range of expression of women in the scripture. It has a whole lot more to do with who they are than how they dress. Um, but what I can safely say is most of the time what we're seeing in culture is people experimenting with who they think they are or not. And so I can tell my daughter that. But hey, Gracie, let's look at all these different women. We went through the series um, Bells of the Bible. You're waving anyway. Gracie loves those. Some of those women are strong and independent leaders, and some of those women are just so underseen. They're not really, I mean, they're, they're mild. They're, they're, their meekness is right there, but they change the world through all the ripple effects. I love that. I just got her the book, 100 uh, Women Through History Who Changed the World, you know, or whatever. We need to do the same thing for our boys. I'll be honest, I'm much more concerned about our boys because the loss of fatherlessness in our culture is so devastating. Um, it's so hard for men. I mean, I say that as a woman, but if you're a man in this room, I doubt you disagree with that, and Matt can probably speak more to that, but I get concerned about our boys. The Bible doesn't stereotype, but the Bible gives broad strokes of enlivened, godly man, maleness and godly femaleness, and we need to start talking about that with our kids. That the first gift God ever gave my daughter was her sex. And there's a godly femaleness to that, and there's a lot of expression she can have, but she needs to ask God what the expression looks like. And what you're seeing basically in culture is people booting out the voice of the creator and trying to invent it. And that's going to get in all kinds of danger. Does that help with that question, Matt? And, and I would say, too, we're going we're gonna to unpack that this upcoming Sunday in our service, this idea of there are stereotypes around what it means to be a man and what it means to be, what it means to be female and what it means to be male, right? Males are hunters. They are protectors. They are strong. They are, that's the masculine picture we have of men. Women are the opposite, right? And so when you have a kid who is gender male, but has effeminate traits about them, 
our culture immediately does this and throws them into, there's something wrong with you. And the kid begins to go, there's something wrong with me. And we have to be careful as parents that we don't, you know, there's expression of our gender, but that doesn't change who we are. Like you may be an, a guy who is more effeminate, or you may be a female who is more strong and protective and have more masculine traits, but that doesn't mean that you're not female or not male because you don't fit the stereotype. And I think that's one of the things our culture is really pushing right now is if you don't meet the stereotype, then you're in this other category. And our kids are starting to wrestle with that. And because the culture says, welcome, right? They're jumping into it head first because I'm, I'm being encouraged in my school because if you're a girl who doesn't fit the stereotype, you're being encouraged to go, I'm bisexual. Or, and this has been happening with girls for years. When I was doing student ministry 15 years ago, this was commonplace with girls. You didn't see it with, boy, with boys. Now it is extremely common for a boy uh, who might be effeminate to be welcomed and say, hey, just say you're gay. That, and, and it is welcomed with open arms and it's not criticized, it's not put down. And so we're gonna really unpack that a little bit this, this Sunday in our conversation as we continue uh, in that as well. I think my question to you would, would be, okay, so you have a kid who says, comes to, comes to us and says, hey, I'm struggling myself. Like I wonder, about my own gender, about my own sexuality, or my friend has come and they have said they're struggling with that. Realizing it's not a one-time conversation, what are the first couple of things that you would say, I would take these steps, realizing there's gonna be a lot more that we have to do and we're gonna to have to get help and all of that. What are those first couple of steps that as parents we could take to really lay a solid foundation with our kids if that's uh, what they come to us with? Yes, so I'm gonna say there's three layers to this question. So I'm gonna try to answer all three. The first is what does the broad church body do? The second is what does the community around the family do? And the third is what do the parents do? So let's talk about the broad church body. I think you mentioned earlier the idea of what's happening in our churches at large. What we're all longing for is spaces where we can have a thousand conversations with one person rather than one person having one conversation with a thousand people. And what that looks like, and there's, there, there is a room for spaces like that where you've got, like I just, I worked for 10 years on staff with a church, that auditorium fit, what, 1,500 people. And so on Sunday mornings, you had someone having a conversation with 1,500 people, one conversation, right? slowly over time, Sunday after Sunday. But where we all know the discipleship meets the road is in the community. And so what we do as a broad church is we create a culture in our churches and in all of our spaces like this where we recognize the beautifulness of all of us, the brokenness of all of us, and we tenaciously interrogate reality and be unafraid to talk about anything. It's going to be hard. What the community does is the community around the family has to decide at the onset that they have a very long game view about this kid. So if, if your kid comes to you and says, hey, I'm struggling and they're 17 years old, 
Y'all, they are so not done. Like this is going to look very different at 27, at 37, at 47, at 57. You know, the, the passage in the Bible that I think feels actually more threatening to parents is raise up a child in the way they shall go. When they old, they won't depart from it, right? As if old was 20. Y'all, old in the Bible was 70, 80. <laughs> like old was old. I will not be alive when my daughter hits old. I was almost 40 when I had her, you know? So when she's old, to see if that all settles in her, I'm going to be probably dead, right? I'd be gone. So the family around, you have a very long view. You sit with the parents and you and sit with them primarily ears first. And you don't sit with them, you kneel with them. And you just pray. We need to be a praying people. We think that a counselor and a Bible verse can, can do this. No. You know, when Jesus came and cast, and, and he approached his disciples and they were saying, you know, that they couldn't cast out the demon, not that this is a demon, but couldn't cast out the demon. Well, what did Jesus say? This kind only, come, this kind only comes out through praying fasting. There's a kind of spiritual work that really only gets done on your knees. And so we pray with our families. We support our families. We love them and we keep affirming the beautifulness of both the parent's and the child, when the child walks in the door on a Friday night for life group, and it's a boy, he's wearing a dress, and he's got colors in his hair, what we don't do is sit around and go, I don't know what we should do. <laughs> like, should we say, you know, if this family is part of your church community, they're part of your church community. And we're together in it. But we don't ignore it either. And so um, for the family, though, what they have to do is continue to love, continue to affirm the beautiful, and continue to drip the truth and just drip. We want, here's, here's the bottom line. When someone comes to me and says, this is the way I feel about myself, Stacy, you're a Christian, what do you think? Here's what I always want my daughter to hear from me. If she is confused or sad or broken, I want her to hear, Gracie, God hopes more for you. God hopes more for you. That's very different than God calls this sin. And it, I don't avoid sin and the conversation of sin, and we don't avoid truth. But what I want that young person to hear is, look, you've got a lot of life ahead of you. And God hopes a lot for you and hopes more for you. And we want to be the people with you along for the journey. And so we are always, and upfront about my methods, I'm always going to be honest with you. I'm always going to be truthful with you. And you will always be welcome with me. I want you here. There's, there, I, I love, I don't just love you. I love things about you. I'd name the things I love about them. Our kids don't know there's anything lovable about them. And there really are wonderful, amazing things, and we need to speak them. But we need to recognize, and I'll tell them, I would do you a disservice in loving you if I didn't help you navigate the questions you have about yourself, which, by the way, are really normal, very normal at that age. Does that, does that help?
I think intuitively we all know that, by the way. I don't see anybody going, no, I don't think we should do that. Like we know. But we, the biggest thing is we do it together. We have too many families feeling like they're doing it alone, which is why I love, Matt, that you're doing this and that there's space in our churches to do this together. And I think that there are a lot of churches starting to do this, and that makes me really happy. All right, it's 6 o'clock, and we have children's ministries yes. waiting for us. Uh, I want to share one thing. Uh, Matt Schuneman, who's coming next week, we were talking about this um, and really framing it in the conversation of if a kid is struggling with pornography and gives that information to you. One of the very first things he encourages is, uh, and I love this, and I feel like we should all know it, but we don't always practice it because we're so overwhelmed in the moment, is to thank our kid for entrusting us mm-hmm. with that information, right? Like if your kid comes and they say, I'm struggling with it, I'm struggling with my uh, sexual identity, I'm struggling with my gender, I'm struggling with this addiction. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's so overwhelming for us to hear that as parents that we go on the defensive and we go on the, oh, I got to give you truth right now. And what they really need is to, is to hear from us, hey, thanks for trying, like you, you find me a safe place. Thanks for entrusting me with that information. And I need you to know you're not going to walk through this alone. I'm going to walk through it with you. And that's one of the joys we get as a parent. We don't get to choose the battles our kids walk through. We don't get to choose the difficulties that they, they face. We don't get to choose the brokenness that's going to be a part of their life. We get to choose whether or not we walk through it with them. And that's the blessing that God has given us as we get to walk with our kids through that. And so, Stacy, thank you so much. Um, if you have questions, feel free. She'll be here. Uh, you can grab your uh, kids will be available. They are fed and uh, will be ready to go to bed when you get home. Uh, and like I said, next week we'll have our last uh, parent workshop, same time here. If you want to join us for a Sunday morning service, it'll be 1030 right here next Sunday morning. Uh, and we'll continue this conversation together until next week. Uh, have a great time. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarnox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website, or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers, equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.